This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey everybody, welcome to Snark Monkey number 42? Yeah, we'll amend that if I'm wrong. I'm too lazy to look it up. And welcome back to the Snark Monkey universe where we have admittedly taken a hiatus for a bit. Just a little bit of a break. I had the holidays, had the new year, and now we enter 2016, the year of the snark. Or, the, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with that. Okay, so the relaunch of Snark Monkey isn't necessarily all that organized. But let me tell you this. You can prepare yourself, steal thyself for even more content and more interesting snarky snuck. Snarky snuff, snarky stuff. I really should be looking at my talking points here, but I'm I'm kind of doing that Trump thing, you know, off the top of the old bean. Just whatever comes up. Apparently, America loves that crap. No matter what spews out of my mouth hole, you're going to love it because it's unfiltered. Yeah. See, I'm learning. Anyway, Snark Monkey is back. You will have more reviews, more commentary, and a promise that I, that comes straight from the heart. More stories about monkeys. I'm not kidding. So uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing. And thanks for checking out the latest edition, which is the return of one of the very early Snark Monkey guests, Gary Kroger. When he was, he was episode number five, I think, going back to October of 2013 when Snark Monkey was just getting started. Now, through the course of this conversation that you're about to listen to, we reference being back last December or something, which was not true. Because Gary and I are both um, men of a certain age, our memories are failing us quickly. I mean, thank God we caught this conversation in before complete dementia sets in because we're just forgetting crap like crazy. But I talked to him in October of 2013, about his path from improv in the Chicago area, being friends with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Brad Hall, and coming up through Saturday Night Live at a very tumultuous time, being a cast member for a few years around some amazing people, um, his life as a struggling actor after that, with some amazing stories. It's, it's worth going back and listening to just for those stories. But at that time, we talked about his political aspirations. Gary, at one point, picked up, moved to Iowa, left show business, a certain sort of show business, became an advertising executive back in his hometown, essentially, but started to become very vocal and very politically active. And when we talked in October of 2013, I asked him about, you know, would he consider running for office? Well, it turns out, he did, and he is, and we're giving him a little pre-Iowa caucus love with the release of this Snark Monkey this weekend. Gary Kroger is back for a conversation with a great insight into what the crazy political process is like from his point of view, especially preceding Iowa, which has its own brand of craziness. Um, and he also has some just really interesting points, somebody who is very passionate about his particular issues and also has some pretty good ideas, but in a plain spoken way and yet with uh, a perspective that maybe the rest of us don't have because of uh, his travels through show business. So I, I think this is a really great conversation. I love Gary. He's such a good guy. I wish him well. Uh, I know he's got an uphill battle in his race for the congressional seat he's going after, but we'll see what happens. And, you know, who knows, after posting this, Gary might get the, uh, that, uh, what do you call it, the snark monkey bump, <laughs> which up until now actually meant something negative that you would have to go to the doctor to have checked. And, and, and if you do have a snark monkey bump, I would definitely go see uh, a good uh, 
what, what do they call skin doctors? Dermatologist. Dermatologist. Thank you. That's just some random guy in the background who helped me out. Oh, by the way, uh, you're about to hear a new, this is part of the whole uh, Year of the Snark Monkey, a brand new remixed, revised, and rejuvenated opening and closing theme composed and performed by the incredibly talented musician Alexander Morgan. Check out alexandermorganmusic.com, his new album For the King, available now on iTunes. It's on Spotify, and uh, you can find him on the Twitter, Alexander Morgan Music or Alex Morgan 72 or just Google Alexander Morgan, and you'll find it. For the Kink, great record. Uh, all right, here we go. Snark Monkey number probably 42 with uh, soon-to-be, hopefully, Congressman Gary Kroger. Enjoy. Mr. I'm always ready. We have a lot to talk about since uh, your last visit, which was awesome. Uh, we touched on the fact that you were politically active mm-hmm. and outspoken and doing a lot of things in Iowa that um, were getting some attention. And I asked you about the idea of pursuing public office. And, and you, this is what you had to say. Now you hit a button and we No, go. I'm not going to. I, uh, I don't have I don't Oh, you don't have, have that? that? You know, let me just point out. Yeah. Th- whenever I do these podcasts with you, it always reminds me of Andy Dufresne in, in Shawshank when he breaks into the warden's office, yeah. locks the door, right? and then broadcasts the classical music. <laughs> I always feel that when I'm with you in this room, <laughs> that it's you're illegal in somehow. Oh, okay. <laughs> that somehow we broke in and are doing something we're not supposed to do. <laughs> and they will come to the door. Uh, I remember Gary were, Kroger. <laughs> I, I guess I just miss my friend. <laughs> That's my bad like, Morgan Freeman impression. Yeah, I'll try my bad Morgan Freeman. All right, Freeman. excellent. I'd like to think that the last thing the warden thought of as that bullet entered his brain was Andy Dufresne. <laughs> well, that, it was slightly better than yours. That's a, yeah, slightly I would say, I yours. think emphasis on the slightly. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's just say that neither one of us are probably going to be experts at uh, mimicking a 70-year-old black man. Neither one of us will be starring in Morgan with an exclamation mark. <laughs> <laughs> Off Broadway, will we? The one-man show of Morgan Freeman. Oh, God. But what if we did it in blackface? That w- no, wait, that's not good, right? <laughs> yes, and now I, I look to you my handlers to hand- and No, go- she's ignoring you. <laughs> you were saying... Yes, because th- a couple of things we touched on. Of course, we talked about your trajectory in show business um, and also your political leanings and how that might turn into public office, and you had a very specific answer about that. But the first thing I want to cover is that in the time that we have talked, and I know that it's a little distant now, but you did get to attend the star-studded and much ballyhooed. Oh my goodness! I have that to talk about since seeing you. SNL oh, yes. 40th anniversary. Oh, my goodness. Now I saw you post pictures. You took uh, one of your sons, mm-hmm. and it it just looked like it was a, a just an absolute joy-filled night. Now I, you know it was disappointing that you didn't get to be featured yeah, on stage. But I I go every ten years, and it's always disappointing on that level. So <laughs> you know, I had no expectations. I. I wrote early to say, okay, I'd like two tickets. So I got two tickets. It turns out even Billy Crystal didn't get two tickets. But because I put my name in so early, I bring my son. No one else could bring anybody. And I'm talking Marty Short, Billy Crystal. Yeah. So it's a great story. So it's bad weather because it's the Midwest that we're trying to fly out of. And my son and I get to Chicago and the flight's canceled. We can't get to New York. I am going back to where he's sitting to say, son, we'll get, take a cab into Chicago. Daddy used to live here. We'll have a good time. And then yeah, we Yeah, but noticed, you must have been disappointed I about... Was, I, I mean, that was a, that's a huge yeah. anniversary. It was a but big I'm deal. But I'm going back to my son, and then we look up on the thing, and there is a flight, even though our flight was canceled due to bad weather, that's still going to sneak in. So we race across the terminal. We get to the window, and he goes. She says, "I'm sorry, but all there is is is, is uh, first class." And I sigh, and it, you know, first class is forty thousand dollars a ticket. Right? Yeah, I believe that's she going. She looks rate. at me, 
I don't know what I might have said. Uh, she saw how dejected my son was. I might have s- mentioned SNL. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I. So she does want to. So, okay, let, let's recreate that. Uh, you're the ticket agent, and I'm you. Okay. So, my oh, son and I have tickets to the oh, Saturday Night Live son, reunion. I guess we, we won't be able to go it to was the something like SNL 40th. But reunion. I really wasn't trying to manipulate. I was. I was resigned, and it was over, and I was turning back to my son, oh. and she goes. Just a moment. And she does one of these things that only ticket people do. You know, they don't look up at you. And are they really typing anything? I think they're just hitting numbers. So then she hands me two tickets, first class. I did not pay extra for them. She just did one of those things that... Good Samaritans can do, and she hands me two first-class tickets. And she said, I'm sorry, but your son and, and you can't sit together. And that's fine. <laughs> we get on the plane. My son, who's never flown first-class before, is sitting in a first-class seat. I'm sitting next to Jesse Jackson. Oh, seriously? <laughs> Jesse Jackson is to my right, and my son is behind me. So we fly to New York, right, first-class. We get to New York, and I get a text on my phone that the hotel had overbooked. <laughs> overbooked but to compensate they said we're going to upgrade your hotel so from you know holiday flea bag we went to a four-star hotel in this executive suite seriously so first class executive suite and we have two tickets to the biggest show on earth yes so we get in the pre-party is unbelievable we get off the elevator there's mike myers there's eddie murphy there's the Peyton and 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 Eli Manning yeah, over here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, honestly, I can't think of any event I've ever seen covered or or been on television that had as much star power. In addition to the SNL stars who went on to become huge names, but the other names that were there was it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. So my son is meeting all these people. We get to the show. We walk by Donald Trump, uh, Paul Simon, <laughs> Matt Lauer. You know, David uh, uh, Keckner is it Keckner? Yes, David yes. Keckner. David, yeah. David Keckner is sitting next to us, and he explains that he could only get one t- ticket, and because his wife couldn't come because yeah. he has one ticket, so he plays into this with my son, and he's just railing on my son comedically, <laughs> saying, "You know, you should be my wife. My wife should be sitting here, but no, I've got a sixteen-year-old boy, and just having a blast. And my son <laughs> is loving it, loving it, rubbing shoulders with all these people. Then there's Will Ferrell. There's all of these people on stage. Bill Murray is singing the theme from Jaws. It was just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's and." At the end of the show, they invite all the cast members from, you know, going back to 1897 to get on stage. <laughs> and I'm modest, and I wasn't part of the show, and, I, and my son said, Dad, get up there. Oh, no, no, get up there. So I race up to the stage, and as soon as I'm there, I'm face-to-face with Sir Paul McCartney. <laughs> Dude! Sir Paul McCartney. Have you, had you met him before? Never met him before. Um, and I'd worked with Ringo. Um, but I'm face to face with him, and I just put out my hand and said, "You know, I've waited 50 years to do this." And he went, "Well, it's about time you did that." <laughs> you know, and he shook my hand. And the funny thing is, is I knew he was willing to engage in a conversation. Yeah, he was willing. And I'm standing there thinking, "What haven't you heard?" Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Of, of, of all the people on the planet to be to say, "Hey, I really like your like music. your stuff." <laughs> Um, it's Chris so Farley all over again. The haircuts. I mean, you know, I, I, I it literally through my brain. I'm this close to going. Yesterday and today, our studio has been filled with hundreds of newspapermen and photographers from all over the country, and these professionals agree the city has never seen such excitement as what's been stirred by these four youngsters from Liverpool. Now tonight, we'll be twice entertained by them. Right now, and again in the second half of our show, ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. Now, here's the thing. I memorized Why? that when Why? I was seven. What? That's Ed Sullivan's introduction. Oh, it's Ed Sullivan. But when you're seven, your brain is a sponge. So I've been doing yesterday and today or forever. That's crazy. Now, I wanted to do that for Paul, and I was this close. And Dana Carvey comes in, they start playing air guitar, and the moment's gone. <laughs> and it's probably a good thing because, you know, 
what on earth is he doing? <laughs> yeah, because he probably hasn't memorized no. that yeah. or watched it yeah. since he or, was or doing it Or he would call live. security knowing that there's someone that literally memorized his introduction. Now, I see you had posted stuff on social media. You had a nice moment with a former cast member, I think. You got to see, uh, didn't you have a moment on the red carpet with Billy Crystal or something? Or, well, I mean, I mean, they were all there. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, my son and I are going down the red carpet and it's take five steps, take your picture, take five steps, take your picture. And right in front of us is Melissa McCarthy, yeah. uh, Billy Crystal. I mean, um, I, with Billy, I had a hello. But with Billy and Marty, they all said, Kroger, we hear you're going to run for office. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was like, That's wow, getting around. That, that got around. Yeah. There must have been, obviously, this comes up all the time. Even since you've announced you're running for office, the SNL tag has been there. And that's always, look, it's iconic. It's an institution. It's going to be part of your life. It'll be in the obit, which we hope doesn't come anytime (laughs) soon. Um, But you must have been in that audience and in that studio and had a real sense of just being a part of something Amazing. I mean, what were you feeling as you were watching the show and being part of that? It's a yes and no. What I felt was, aren't I lucky to be able to get the golden ticket? You know, I you know, I'm not included in the show or the, and I'm not. It's not sour grapes. It's just look. There's Will Ferrell. There's there's Eddie Murphy. There's you know Bill Murray. There's no space for me in that, right? Um, And so I get to go. I get to bring a 16 year old boy. (laughs) To this environment right. because I'm his dad. So yeah. that's where I felt cool. Had you, yeah, had you gone and been alone in that environment, it would have felt a little... <laughs> I would probably still be sitting there in <laughs> Studio 8H. <laughs> Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Yes, I'll go eat worms. Oh, God. Oh, poor Gary. Yeah. But, yeah, to be able to vicariously get to ex- I get, have your son You, you know, it was fun. You was that I know these people. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't embarrassing. You know, uh, Mike Meyer said, hey, Gary, I haven't seen you since the last one of these 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, I didn't, it, 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 I was embraced and I was part of it. You know, people knew me. Billy Crystal couldn't have been friendlier. You know, Marty Short, as always, you know, just as nice as can be. Yeah, yeah. So the fact, you know, what I got out of it was impressing my teenage son. Yeah. But you know what? As a father, you get those little touch points not all the time, but when you do, savor it. Yeah, it's huge. It's yeah, huge. There's pictures of my, my, Paul Rudd was one of the greatest experiences because Paul Rudd is a huge movie star, especially to a teenager. Sure. So he's hanging he's out. He's a with Marvel them. superhero for a crying Marvel, out loud. He's Ant Man. Yeah. So to a, to my teenage son, we're hanging with Paul Rudd, and he turned to me and he said, "Dad, that's exactly the guy I hoped he would be," because <laughs> you know, he's a real guy. Yeah, yeah. And and really friendly and really engages with you. Uh, I had this remarkable moment at the after party with Sarah Palin. Now, I wrote about this on my blog, yes. GaryHasIssues.com. Right. I can plug that one. Yeah, we'll right? plug it. Yeah. GaryHasIssues.com. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so a friend of mine, Andy Breckman, one of the great writers of all time, uh, says, I want you to meet Governor Palin. I go, no, no, why? I, I've written terrible things about her, or critical things about her. Not right. terrible, right. but very critical things about her. And, he go, and the next thing I hear is, Governor Palin, this is Gary Kroger. He's a Democrat. Oh, and she said, oh, you know, you don't have horns, do you? You know, I mean, she made a funny comment. She yeah. said, you're not all bad. And yeah. so, but we had a conversation, and she had, uh, I think her nephew was there. And for 15 minutes, if not longer, Sarah Palin and I are having a conversation about uh, our families, about her nephew, my son, how much we love America, uh, our home states. And she's Sarah Palin, so everybody wants her time. She is looking at me the way you're looking at me uncomfortably right now. Mm-hmm. You know, she's making eye contact with me and never looks around the room to see if Paul McCartney's coming in or anything. She is engaged with me. And I was very, very impressed and, and moved by that. You can see how she has compelled people to yes. take her seriously at some point. Yes. Despite the fact that... She's for real. I don't believe that the, the palette from which she draws her ideology is particularly clear. Yeah. You know, I, I don't agree with her on anything but emotional issues, you know, uh, yeah, caring, but you, love, you, you can see how, at least in that uh, election cycle, that she yes. captured people. She's she, a real yeah. person thrust into this incredibly surreal environment, 
And so two real people were talking to each other about loving their family. So I was very moved and touched by that. I even said to her, I wish that government could work this way, Governor, where we go into a room with our disagreements, we order some pizza, we lock the doors, and we come in with issues, and we determine to leave with some solutions. You know, sort of a hippy-dippy notion of how politics works. (laughs) But I could see her register. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Well, isn't Sarah Palin in that election cycle, again, maybe an indication of things to come with the current one, for instance? Because with Palin, the big deal with her was... Yes, it was a vice presidential nomination kind of thing, and it was she was female, and that was a big deal for the Republicans, et cetera. But she was also – she took pride in going rogue and, yeah. and saying what she felt as opposed to what she was told to say. She right. obviously went off the script of her political handlers. Now that's kind of – the that, that's that's the thing now. I mean, Trump is a clear indication. I mean, let's yeah. jump right into the current political fray, which is – kind of a hodgepodge of insanity from one end to the other. Now, I will maintain it's still way too early. I mean, we're yeah. talking about presidential candidates a year, a, a year away from I know primaries will happen. The front runners will change. We've seen it swing wildly from month to month Don't forget, in, uh, past, uh, in the um, past. Rick Santorum won the Iowa caucus right, last time right, on, right, on the right. Republican side. And, and also went, oh, Hillary was a lock in uh, 2000. Uh, and then this the guy named Barack Obama yeah, comes in, came out in, of nowhere. 2008. So, uh, but, but it seems to be that the, that the general public on both sides is, are trying to embrace whether you want to call them outsiders that's a stupid term because everybody's a politician or or has a political mind uh whether it's you know this brash oh i think most people if i can generalize are looking for somebody genuine i mean somebody well, who's just really saying yes. what they want to say well you know there's a there's a joke out there and it's a good joke but somebody says you know Donald Trump speaks his mind and i like that and yeah well so does my drunk uncle <laughs> right and 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 the truth is that is a valid joke sure yeah, so does my drunk uncle yeah he speaks his mind sarah palin speaks her mind but people are looking for real cut the bs get out of the what i call political expediency now i criticize a lot of politicians for looking at the polls and then determining I'm going to take this issue right or changing their positions slowly to reflect popularity I don't and like also that. rounding off the corners right. I mean completely staying away from anything that might be a divisive stance on right. anything and staying so middle of the road that you really don't have a clear indication of and that's of where why they stand. Donald Trump is uh, electrifying that's why people are being drawn to it. now that quality of looking for a real person that's always been part of I, I remember when George Bush was running against Al Gore and I'm you know a Gore got my Gore sign in front and I'm living over here in Simi Valley and my neighbor had a Bush sign, and we're friends, and we're talking one day. And he said, well, I, yeah, I know that George isn't, wasn't a great businessman or necessarily a great governor, and I don't know that his policies – but I like him. I'd like to have a beer with him. Well, that was the common I, – I think that was something that was probably planted by PR people, right. but people embraced that. I would sit down and have a beer with with. George and it would probably be a more fun beer than having a beer with Al Gore. I mean, honestly. Yeah. But that should that be the criteria by which to choose a president? <laughs> I don't, and and I don't know. but the, the point is, people have always been been captivated by politicians when they do appear to be real. You know, you, well, they, I mean, it goes back. We can do uh, research on all sorts of presidencies in the 1800s. If you were folksy and you had, you know, great sayings <laughs> and, and good and, mutton chops. <laughs> Exactly. I can relate to a man with good mutton chops. That's probably good. my mother thinks that I need to shave. She says, "Honey, they don't. People with whiskers are not elected." You're right. You know, the last president was was Theodore Roosevelt, who had a mustache. There's this. Re- did you look into that? Yeah, I did, because I like the, the goatee like thing. But my mother says, "No, honey, no, no, no one over where I live is going to vote for someone with whiskers." Sorry <laughs> maybe, about maybe the impression, because my mom will hear this impression. She's got, I don't talk like that, and I'm so mad when you tell people that I do. 
Maybe you can be the, the hirsute candidate. I mean, there's some kind of angle on that. I'm so real, I don't bother shaving. I, I, I'm so real, I don't listen to my mother anymore. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the renegade that I am. So knowing all this about, you have been very outspoken and very critical to a certain extent of the political system, but both sides. You, you have always touted this idea that both sides should be more open to I mean, it's such a simple concept. How about you talk to each other and find some compromise so things can move well, forward? Well, you, you, you just used a word that I don't use, compromise. and that's compromise. Yeah, that's true. But what I like is cooperation, another good yeah, C word. Right. But cooperation is possible. You know, I don't want to give up a value. I don't want to give up something that I truly believe in. But I'm willing to cooperate and listen to something that you really need to have as well. So we can give each other something. For example, let me give you an example. I'm talking to some union people. And they support the Keystone Pipeline. And in Iowa, we have the Bakken Pipeline. And they they said, well, Gary, what do you feel about Keystone? Now, I know that if I were to say, um, I'm an environmentalist, no, no, they're not going to listen to me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, I understand that the jobs, those are union jobs, and to close the door on your livelihood or the livelihood of other union people, we're, this conversation is now suddenly over. But I said, but listen to me, because what's important to me is that we begin to move away from our uh, obsessive connection to fossil oil and move toward a cleaner environment, because in the oil industry— You've got 7 billion tons of inorganic carbon gas going into the atmosphere. Now, most scientists are going to tell you that's very, very dangerous. Now, I can't allow that. So if you want Keystone, if you want Bakken, support me with a carbon fee. Put $20 per ton, and you've got $1.2 trillion to give back to the American taxpayers to move forward clean energy. Well, I watched a room of pretty salty Good old boys and a few women go, well, that's the most intelligent answer we've ever gotten. Good. Is this so, a quality that you've always had? Are you, have you always been able to be kind of in the midst of people of differing opinions and be the one that tries to connect them? I mean, I, I've always been like, this is a big leap, but coming from a broken home, um, I was the one always trying to make sure everybody was happy and, and make somebody laugh. I'm a middle child. Yeah, okay. And you know that I... I, I thank you for bringing that up because it is the quality as a politician that I think is my strongest suit. I've always been the guy, um, and maybe it's a little bit of sociopathy. I don't know. You know what I mean? I've always been the guy that I was friends with the jocks and I was friends with the hippies. Right, right. Equally. No judgment here. And and I always brought both sides together. That's the story of my life. Well, there's a part of that. I mean, for me, it was I, I just wanted to be liked. I ex kind of still. Well, that, that's where sociopathy. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's truly. <laughs> I just don't want to make it sound so clinical and <laughs> and and sad. Um, but you know what? Isn't that a true quality? Who? I mean, you know what I mean? I think that we're we're belittling ourselves, and I right. I'm guilty for using you know calling it sociopathic well, behavior. Everybody. That, that's where where it where to. it delves into sociopathy is when you uh, you change yourself yes. in order to be liked by somebody right. that that and that's bad for relationships yes. and that's bad for you and then well, you never I'm really know what you're picking up right a lot of personal experience in the way you so quickly came out with that analysis. Really? No, I'm <laughs> just wow. Wow. You've never taken well, me so seriously before. I really before, like you. Ever. <laughs> I really like you, Gary. So uh, let's circle back around to, uh, so I don't know exactly when you made the decision. Again, when we talked in December of last year, you made, you you were very much considering the idea of maybe wanting to run for public office. You'd made no commitment to it, but you also had some issues with, I don't know if people will take me seriously. I don't know if I'm electable. I don't know even know if I'm nominatable, mm -hmm. if that's even a word. I doubt uh, it. Um, something changed your mind. And was it a personal decision? Did people come to you? Did stars align? What, what was it that actually made you think, this is... This is a, a, a nearly impossible task that I'm going to leap into. Um, exactly that. Because the stars never do align. 
any aspect of your life, if you're waiting for the stars to align, to get married, to have children, to, to go into politics, to do that, they never actually align. You have to simply make a decision. And then you put blinders on and you don't look over your shoulder. You just keep going toward the finish line. And as I sat here uh, just a year ago, I had not made that decision. I just always felt that I would be very, very good because I think this is my skill set. My skill set as, as an actor, as, as a, the producing that I've done in my life, has always been to, to communicate and to bring people together. Well, and there's also, not to sound, make you sound too altruistic, because, uh, <laughs> but you also feel like you can do good for people. I mean, right. you, your inclination is, I, for my home state, for my right. home, hometown, whatever, I think I can actually make things better. I see an opportunity I to be- do that. I believe. Now, it, you know, it's funny. When you're the... When you're the product yourself and you're saying these things about yourself, it sounds a little, you know, arrogant maybe. That's why I said it for you. <laughs> well, but I'm going to repeat it. Because you are arrogant. Because I, I believe that I am the right type of person to do the right type of work or I wouldn't have gone into this. So as I sat here, my thought was in about a year, I'll announce, you know, seven months shy of the primary. Well... Come January, a woman who'd, been, who'd run for this office the last time out immediately put her hat in the ring. She just continued the campaign saying, I'm going after the seat that the Republican Rod Blum won. And she is a, uh, a great campaigner. She is known throughout the state. She knows how to raise money. She is a commodity that the state went, the Democrats went, awesome, great, there's our candidate. Now, I have nothing against her whatsoever, but I'm thinking, no, no, I'm not willing to just say, there's our candidate, she is anointed, go. Mm -hmm. I thought, no, that she's not the voice that I want in that office or the people that I know. The, the, the challenges and the debates that I've had that, you, you know, you've read and some people who listen, you know, read the stuff that I write, that's not her bailiwick. Did I use that word correctly? No, yeah, I think so. It's it's mine. And I think that she represented conventional party policy thinking. Again. It's business as, as usual. Business as usual. Okay. She is a terrific human being. And I'm not just saying that to be political. She has lots going for her. Great resume. But not the true, blue, unapologetic, lifelong, progressive that the state of Iowa needs to counterbalance the extreme right that took over. So I put my hat in the ring immediately because I had to because she'd already sort of pulled the trigger. You know, all the money gets eaten up really yeah. fast, so she, I got in. She's got a head start on you. I got in six, seven months before I would have, and it's been a challenge. Well, I got in. There was another young man in the race, and he bowed out early. And then the guy who, another guy who lost the race who directly lost the race to the guy who won, threw his hat back in the ring thinking, hey, all I need is about 400 more votes this time, and I'm in. That, to me, does not speak of inspiration. No. You know, if the best you can say is, I won't lose this time, that's not the substance that I think Iowans, Americans need. So you are in a three-way race uh-huh. for the Democratic nomination, nomination. To go after Rod Blum, Congressman Rod Blum. Right. So in your mind, what are the main issues that you feel that you need to address as a congressman from that district in your state of Iowa? Um, great question. And, and it's actually, you know, I have a fundraiser tonight, and this is what I'm going to say. This will air after the fundraiser, so I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to say. All right. Um, I had a conversation with someone that I trust very deeply, and he asked me, why are you doing this, Gary? You have to have something. Every politician has to have something at their core that makes them go through what is unfathomable. Unfathomable. That's all, folks. Beyond the sociopathy of right. just wanting people in Iowa to and like And I you. said, for me and my DNA and the family that I grew up in, it will always be civil rights. It will always be justice. It will always be human rights. It will always be egalitarianism where every human being deserves respect an opportunity. Everybody. Justice must be blind. Immigrants, women, ethnic, religious, gender affiliation. We must be blind and accepting of all these things. That is, I get goosebumps talking about that right now. And he said, wrong answer. 
What? I didn't realize this was a wrong answer situation. He said, no, you can't win on that. It has to be the economy. And I thought about it, and I said, no, wait a second. All right, I understand that the economy, for you and me, everybody here, it starts at the kitchen table, the bills that you can or cannot pay. I understand. I understand that the middle class has to grow. I, as much as anyone, need that earned income tax credit to come back. I stand for uh, bringing people out of the working poor, and I want to raise the minimum wage. In fact, I don't want to just raise the minimum wage. I want to index it to the poverty threshold so we can stop having these conversations every two years. Let's, let's give opportunity to where people can rise above poverty. I believe equal pay for equal work, you know, for women. Um, I, so I understand that the economy is important. And if, but at the same time, what economy are we trying to build if we're also creating a world that is uninhabitable? And when you look at 7 billion tons of inorganic gas, we need to change that too. So the environment is integral to the economy. And I said, okay, so now we have an economy and we have an environment, but what is the point of it all if we're not living by the values that created this nation? Liberty and justice for all. It's like, it's like uh, Winston Churchill said when, when someone said, well, are we going to cut the endowment for the arts during the war effort? And he said, then what are we fighting for? Yeah, right, right. So it's all integrated. So whether someone comes at it, you with the economy, the climate, or, or civil rights— it's all equally important. Yeah, but somebody who manages, let me be on the, the spin doctor side of things, which is you have to have a simple label, though. You have to be the so-and-so candidate. And can you do that with this kind of big picture, you know, all we're all connected, it all, it's all connected? I mean, it makes right. sense when you have the chance to have this conversation. Right. But in the soundbite world in the elevator. or in the Jeb exclamation point campaign world that needs— Gary Kroger is this guy. How does that translate? How do you get that across in little bites that make somebody want to learn more about Gary you? Gary Kroger is a middle-class guy with a full-time job and two boys that face education that he can't afford. And, he, and, and a world uh, – and a foreign policy quagmire that jeopardizes the, f- the future of his children. That's the Gary Kroger elevator thing. Here's a real guy with a really varied experience in life who is passionate, emotional, and has good ideas and does his homework that has very relevant issues. Two children, he's middle class, a full-time job, and an 87-year-old mother. So all of the issues from Medicare to Medicaid to Social Security to affordable education to the earned income tax credit to foreign policy are on my plate every single day. You know, I'm not very smart, but to my ear, you sound like you know what you're talking about. Now, if I were not somebody who knew you and was close to you and had spent two years in prison with you, by the way, have you have you disclosed that to your... Um, you no. know what? I, I keep that bar of soap <laughs> behind glass. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my God. The whole prison thing is a joke from two marginally funny guys yeah, that's right. who think that they're funny. Oh, she's going to make me cut that part out. <laughs> anyway, um, where was I going with that? You're, you're a guy I who so doesn't know me. and uh, Yeah. I, I, does the SNL thing, which immediately gets slapped onto every headline and every introduction, has that I, I can see it go both ways. People don't take you seriously because you're the funny guy, which I know you have a great response to because you can actually talk intelligently and also still embrace that as part of your past. And by the way, we've had a lot of actors go into politics well, you know, and do on the pretty other well. Side, there's Ronald Reagan. Well, you know that that comes up a lot. <laughs> but the, but then it's also th- th- that does give you a little bit of uh, a tag of going, oh, he was on SNL. I mean, th- th- there's a. There's an interest there that does give you some relatability that people can say. It works both ways. Yeah. It opens the door. I still go to central committee meetings, you know, and somebody will get up. Oh, and the next speaker running for House is uh, Gary Kroger. He used to be on the Saturday Night Live show. <laughs> um, <laughs> smattering of you know, tepid applause. <laughs> people are IMDB. <laughs> you know, and... It works for me, and it kind of works against me. You know, I've heard people roll their eyes, go, it's that SNL guy. Now, at the same time, it gives the press a reason to talk to me, and it sets me apart as, okay, look, I want to be apart from everyone else. Regardless of who I'm running against, it's my job to set myself apart. If I'm just one of the three, 
I lose. I need to set myself apart. What I need to show is that that credential has been a positive. And what I often say is, especially to Democrats, well, you know, there's a guy named Al Franken who's doing mm-hmm. a pretty good job up north. And across the board, they go, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And has managed to, I mean, he's made impact and he's been there a while. Yeah. And it's interesting about Franken, who, for my money, has been one of the funniest people and funniest writers I've ever experienced. He's one of the smartest, cleverest guys that I've ever yeah. met. Who, who definitely made an obvious change in his persona once he became a, quote, serious politician. He has not really gone out of his way to underline his He's been very, humor. very careful of it. Yeah. Now, I you do, can see that sea change in his his, yes. his life. Now, I, the first time I saw him actually crack a joke in the last 10 years was on Letterman's, like, yeah. last couple of weeks when he we went on there. He actually was funny. Well, uh, like he know, couldn't help himself. I've seen him in debates, and you know yeah. his, his humor will come for. Look, there, there's something true, and I've said this before, um, about being an artist, whether you're a comedian, whether you're an actor, a producer, a writer, a painter. The job is to take life very seriously. The job, you don't have any craft if you're not looking at people and looking at the situations of life with a critical, deep focus lens. Our job is to find those idiosyncrasies, those differences, those contradictions, hypocrisies, and bring them to light. Well, that's a very good skill set for a politician. Yeah. I mean, how much of your early life in comedy, obviously you were doing relationship stuff when you guys were doing improv and things like that, but you were also doing satirical stuff all the way up through Saturday Night Live. All political. A lot of it was was digging into that world and needing to be knowledgeable about it so that you could make fun of it or make light of it or satirize it. That's actually pretty good training, pretty good education right there, just in terms of understanding the political system and how people are and what personalities are. You you get an education. One of that. the great improvisers of all time, and if you're one of those Second City nerds and compass players and you go deep, is a guy named Severn Darden. Okay. If you've read the book, you know the name Severn Darden. Severn Darden was the guy you wanted on stage with you because, you know, and now this is, predates me by a zillion years, so I didn't work with Severn Darden. But he was the legendary guy up there that in any situation, oh, Severn Darden's here. So there will be a way. And I asked someone how he did that. And the answer was he read the paper every day. He simply knew what was going on. That's the homework. Know what's going on. Read the paper. Watch the news. Go to the event. Go to the forum. Listen to the speaker. You know, be engaged. And most people who are in comedy do have a point of view. I mean, if you're any good at it and you become successful at it, you have to have a point of view to, mm-hmm. to be something that people get engaged with. So that I can see where that can blossom into some something where you want to be active. I mean, I you can we can find other Dennis Miller is a weird example of somebody who was smart. was and and to see his transformation over the Bill years. Bill Maher? Yeah, Bill Maher, yeah. absolutely. Well, anyway, John Stewart, Stephen Colbert. Yeah. I mean, look, these are the political spokespeople of our time. Yeah. You know, they're the satirists. They're the, they're the editorialists. So what's kind of... Are you happy with the way it's gone so far? I mean, is it what you expected? This is, seems like it's such a hack question, but uh, is anything about the process really surprised you or frustrated well, you? Well, uh, the part of the process that frustrates me is that the process is the process. It doesn't really work. It's not the <laughs> best way to do things. Right. In other words— Which part? Well, party politics, left and right, are so big. You know, the IDP, the Iowa Democratic Party, the DCCC, they, they love money. And money is a shortcut to success. It's a shortcut. You know, they're, they're, not, they're not engaged with ideas and personality. They're engaged with money. Yeah. And this, the, I didn't let the cat out of the bag all of a sudden and, you know, r- risk that, you know, black cars and helicopters are going to show up downstairs. <laughs> but they are drawn to money. Yeah. The candidate that raises the most money. That is the easiest ticket to winning the seat. It's all about winning. What's the best way to win? Now, I understand that. It has to be about winning. But the idea of representative democracy was to create ideas. It was to galvanize and inspire people. That part has gotten lost in the process. For example, I go to meetings, and Gary speaks, and then the other two speak. And thank you very much. 
we say the same things each time to the same people. Is that the best way to do it? Right, right. Or should we simply invite one of the candidates to each one to really let them have a foreign forum in the room? Or should we actually have a forum of debate each time? There are better ways to express ourselves and to show the voters, the activists at this point, who we are, how we think, and what we can do. Is that the IDP that controls that then? I mean, they no, set, they set just, the, or is it just the way it's been done? That's just the way it's been done. Well, Gary, that's what's done. And all of these meetings are on the same night, so if you go to Fayette, you made Buchanan angry. If you go to Buchanan, you know, and, and well, the other two were there, Gary, and you weren't. So you're always in a constant state of saying, I'm sorry, I'll hit you next time. I mean, it is the way it is. But it's the way it is because it's – I know this sounds silly – because it always has, has been, been that, that way. way. Well, I that's, would like that's, to shake it up and change that. It, well, isn't – and the the words campaign reform have been bandied about for such a long time now in terms well, of – Well, but yes. How and, m- f- funds are raised. If, and everybody always likes to say they want to change that. And I don't – how how do you do that? I mean, that's really – I'm witnessing it. Okay. Because even the people making – gobs of money are saying, well, we got to get money out right. of out of campaigning and get me in and I'll do it. Well, they get in. Well, guess what? <laughs> They're married to the money that got them. There. Right. And it's it perpetuates and perpetuates. It has to be possible. Ladies and gentlemen, listening to this before this will air before the primary, I hope. Right. And that's which is well, when that's next June. So okay. hopefully yeah, I'll get, yeah, I'll get around you. to you it. Right. Yeah, I know you're busy. <laughs> Listen, folks, if we want to change the system, we have to make it possible for somebody with a full-time job and a family and the concerns, like me, for example, to get into politics without raising millions of dollars or becoming beholden to special interests or PAC interests or things like that. Well, that's what every voter says they want, and yet nobody seems to, because all these other issues take the forefront, campaign reform seems like the last thing we really need to worry about, except it is the thing that would actually clear the way for genuine... It has to become possible. Now, look, what I would work for, and others have said it, but I would continue to work for, is to make campaigning public funded so we all just go in and it's the same amount of money and we talk issues and we have debates and we discuss things with people. I mean, that's that's the solution. But one of the other things that's happened is media. Right. Media has created... It's become an athletic event. And how much money did you raise? Where are you in the polls? It's a game show. And they put the big numbers on the board, and that's what they're talking about is their popularity, about their money. Who's in first place? He's dropped to a distant third. It's literally... A horse race. Well, not to mention that. It's it's one item can become the story that you then have to shift your focus to right. either refute or, or uh, you know, back up that, that yeah. one little item, and then it moves on to the next thing. I mean, you have to sometimes turn your campaign on a dime based upon whatever aspect the media picks up on. It could be just some random <laughs> Joe the plumber who comes right. out of nowhere and says something, and suddenly that's the focus. Um, I, I it just... Talking about this makes my chest hurt, and it's like the last thing in the world I would ever do is run for any office every, anywhere, ever. Well, that's why people stop. But, but going back to your original question, are there things that have surprised you? Yeah, I, the machinery of it surprised me a bit. But at the same time, I now have a goal that's bigger than ever, and that is if I quit— because, oh, it's just too much. It's, it's too much of a horse race. It's a, it's a circus. It's all about raising money. I can't do it. Well, then I just threw in the towel of right. what has to, for what has to be done. Right. So, you know, I look forward to – my opponents have taken polls now. <laughs> it's not a scientific poll if you get a call, hi, I'm from so-and-so's <laughs> campaign. Who are you going to vote for? <laughs> but, and they both – I'm a – You, dis- I guess. I'm a distant third. And I can't argue that the money I've raised is a distant, distant third. I have no political experience. You know, I don't have any of that going. But I have seven more months to change that. And even though I'm way back here right now, you know, I'm in, I'm in marketing now. That's my profession. What's important is that you're in the right place at the right time. If it's the day before the primary and I just went, wham, then my timing was perfect. You know, Barack Obama was a distant third at this point. Right, right. And and what, so, what do you think can push you up? Hard work, I, just just staying at getting it. out there. Staying, look, I have to raise money. When you go to places, are you seeing heads turn? Are you seeing 
bit by bit, minds change. People respond to you. I mean, do you feel... I get a little bit of everything. Yeah. I know that there are people... Uh, look, again, I'm, I'm, I have to look at myself as the product again, and so it, it, take away the vanity that this sounds like. But I know that people come up to me and feel an inspiration toward my candidacy that, that they tell me is unusual. I hear often, I haven't felt this way about a candidate before. I hear that a lot. Now, I think it's because I'm very passionate and and because I'm very passionate. I think that uh, I'm I believe that job one for me is to inspire people to care. It's it's a little bit above policy. You know, we we're all going to talk about expanding the middle class and raising the minimum wage and equal pay for equal. We're all going to talk about the these issues to some degree. You know, it's kind of the same policy. So the point is who is making us feel good about being an Iowan, about being an American, about feeling like we can make a difference? I feel like that's my job one. You know, again, people have confused. I, I'm, I'm afraid a lot of people who vote didn't pay that much attention in high school government. <laughs> because very often I'll hear, well, wait, this wait, is did, what the majority wants. Did I take government? In a, yeah, I, I must have. Oh, God, you know, you're right. It, the job of any representative is not to be the proxy of the majority, because anybody can do that. You just go take a poll, and that's how you vote. What they should be voting for is someone who's listening to the minority as well as the majority and having a feeling that we can trust their life experience and their wisdom and their ability to communicate to come up with the best answer that helps the common good. Now, that's not easy, because the common good isn't just... The majority. It's also the poorest, saddest, loneliest, quietest voice over here, too. Well, that's not an easy point to get across either, because there are those who say, no, I want you to represent my opinion and only my opinion. And it is typically we represent the majority, and that's what most representatives will tout, which is mainly why we're just sitting there not making any progress most of the time. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. Well, and that comes back to education. Right now, the right side of the aisle, and listen to Marco Rubio or, or Huckabee, um, when, when they make comments like, look, a welder makes more than a philosopher, <laughs> saying we need vocational training. That's where our money. They've monetized everything. They've monetized morality. They've monetized education. They've monetized health. Nothing matters to the right side of the aisle if it doesn't have a profit margin. Well, that's not the country that was intended. You know, you read Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, and he's talking about learning Latin, about learning philosophy. It was about creating minds that could think critically, that could think deeply. That's where ideas come from. That's where the the, the idea of this brilliant constitution didn't come from vocational school. I'm not discounting vocational school and trade jobs, but it came from a liberal, liberal arts education. It came from expanded thinking. That's how we do better. Well, those guys, if we're talking founding fathers, those guys did both. I mean, they were brilliant guys. And they were tradesmen. Who were working farms and, and blacksmiths. Absolutely. And absolutely. Um, Good yeah, point. It's, it's the, the, that's the other thing is the, the whole class warfare you know, thing is just, is just ridiculous. We, there are a lot of us who can be very hardworking and put in a ton of hours and be very middle class and also, also be kind of high-minded and yeah. tolerant of other people. I mean, th- they can coexist. And it, we seem to live in such a divisive society unless I'm just being told we live in a divisive society. Because most of the people I know, and I know – it's not scientific to talk about my immediate group of friends because I gravitate to people of like minds, obviously. We all kind of do that. But most of the people I know would rather not look at things in just absolute black and white but understand that there are shades of gray in everything. And I know that most of the people I know, we don't agree on every single thing. So the world doesn't have to exist or our country doesn't have to exist in a space where we have to agree on every single single thing or disagree on every single right. issue. What what needs to happen? And this is why I actually I've endorsed Bernie Sanders. And you know, common wisdom is a candidate doesn't endorse because you alienate the others. Right. Well, my whole candidacy is about telling the truth and revealing who I am. And if in my personal life I'm supporting Bernie Sanders, I'm not afraid to come out as a candidate. It doesn't mean I'm against the other candidates. I'm just saying this is who I am. That's this is who, who you're responding you to. to. Okay. But what I feel part of is an ideological revolution. It's a revolution of values. Our country was founded on this crazy premise called life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Not not money, margins, and profits. Mm-hmm. But we have replaced 
I understand the importance of the economy. We have to pay our bills. But I was alive in the 60s with a giant, thriving middle class and upward mobility. You know, your, your, your paychecks went up every year. They didn't remain flat. Right. A ranch house was fine. Now, look at the world that we live in. We live in a shrinking middle class. There's no upward mobility. And if you don't live in a house like that, you're not doing very well. Right. The measurement has changed. Our values have changed. It's all become about at least the appearance of affluence. Well, there was a time when being middle class was just fine. Yeah. And in the middle class, oh, we looked at the, the doctors and the lawyers and the big houses and the success and go, oh, wouldn't that be something? You know what? I'm going to go for that. But you didn't have to have it to be successful or to be happy. happy. Right. Yeah. So how do we go back? I don't know, except to say it, to get enough people inspired by, you know what? You're right. It isn't just about this over here. It isn't just, you know, the rest of the world looks at us and goes, you, you're, you're working how many hours? You, you don't take a vacation? You, you, I, don't, I don't even think it's about reaching affluence anymore. It's just about, uh, I, I think most people would be happy just to feel like they don't have credit card debt, you know, mounting up and that we could actually just not live paycheck to paycheck, yeah. that we actually something set something aside for our kids, that they do have something, you know, that that they will be able to take one day when we're gone. Uh, I, I feel like most people are scrambling all the time. And it is the 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 big goal right now is just to stay above water, it seems. Yeah. The, the gap has gotten huge. Yes. Yes, it has. Uh -huh. and, and there's no policy or, or legislation that I go in that suddenly that all changes. Yeah. But it is to elect more and more people who have a different vision, a, a vision that I think is much more in, in, in alignment with the original vision. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm not going, saying we need to go back to a, agrarian lifestyles. and you know, No. Look, I'm a capitalist. I'm a capitalist. I would like a nicer house. I would like a boat. You know, I, I am a capitalist. I would love to have a, 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 a million-dollar idea and, and have a business. You know, of course. But I did grow up in a time where what I had was enough. Yeah. And what I had beyond that was inspiration and opportunity. I was able to go to college with affordable it was affordable. Yeah. I went to Northwestern, but I got affordable loans, work study, BEOG, which today are called Pell Grants. Yeah, and you did all that. You, you, I mean, I again, I see kids now who go into college are still working their ass off and still walk out with, you know, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt. That's <laughs> at at take least them forever to pay off. Yeah. Um, well, is it too late for me to pick up and change my residency and move to Iowa and uh, and you get one vote at least from me? Is it too late? No. Okay. No. Um, you know, I come back. And by here. the way, do I have to give equal time to your uh, <laughs> to your other Democratic candidates? You know, because if they want to fly out we, yeah, from Iowa right. and be on my podcast, I, I think we're okay. All right, I think we're okay. Well, you're more than welcome, whoever you are. Whenever I come out here, I pretty much see you. Last time I was here, well, I, I see you. And I say the same thing. I left here because I had a little boy and the traffic. I just couldn't deal with it. And it's five times worse than it was. You think so? Years. I think that's your imagination. It could be in my imagination, but I drove here at 9 o'clock in the morning at a snail's pace. It's nine. It's it's been that way for a long time. But what's what's the traffic like at uh, in uh, where are you? Cedar. You're Cedar in Falls, Cedar something. Waterloo. All right. Uh, what's the traffic like at nine a.m. in if, Cedar Falls? If 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 you're backed up six cars behind the stoplight, we put in another lane. <laughs> it, that that would be considered intolerable. Well, see, that may be influencing your experience a little bit. Well, I think, from what it was I like here. I do think yes, but I do think that the way we live out there, and and you do in various parts of you know mm -hmm. you know, go up to Antelope Valley, it's a little closer to the way people should live. You know, your blood pressure stays down a little bit. Look, we're, we're driving through traffic and. God forbid I'm in the wrong lane and I want to come over. You literally see them going, idiot, boom, idiot, boom. In Iowa, please, by all means, we'll, we'll let you in and we'll make you breakfast. You know, people are just that friendly. It's true. I don't know. Because the stress, the traffic, the cost of living isn't constantly 
the same burden as it is here. I don't know. There's something about me almost getting hit by a bus every day when I walk the four minutes from my apartment to my job and then get to His, see your a job woman. as a bus driver. As I a bus point. driver, yeah. And getting to see the woman pooping on the street. I there I I don't know. It makes me feel alive, Gary. It just makes me feel alive. Did my mother get out of the home again? Ah, oh, take me with um, you. Take me with you. Well, look, but at the same time, we're driving down the street. And I'm, of course, going, can't believe the traffic. Can't be- oh, there's a great restaurant. Can't believe the traffic. Oh, there's a great restaurant. Can't believe the Oh, there's a music store that you won't like no other in the world. You know, can't believe the traffic. Oh, my God, look at the world of wine over here. You know, I mean, there are these miraculous things here. And the beach well, yeah. traffic permitting is only two hours away. And the weather, is there... Uh, is and there, you can go skiing on the same day. Yeah. Is there nine feet of snow at your house yet? Or not, is that on yet. the way? Okay. Uh, give it a month. All right. Give it a month. Well, uh, Gary, uh, I, I see that our time is coming to an end. And Shouldn't there be music or something? Shouldn't we have... Da, 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 da. All right. Well, there, no, we, we have it da, now. Da, da, da. You Do we have to created, buy that? You created the closing I did theme. two bars, so you're, you're good. You Do I owe you it. for any... Is that... Is that? Oh, is that... You did t- say you'd pay for parking. Was that parking. Carol Burnett's show? Yes. Oh, man. I thought we had an original tune. You're so young. Uh, no, I remember Carol Burnett uh, in reruns. Um, so I... Uh, I wish you so much. Uh, I don't know if luck is the right word. I just I'm so happy to see you so engaged and so focused. And I know it. It from my perspective, it might look like an uphill battle, but you seem to still be so in in the yes. race. You you definitely seem committed. And I and I don't want to say this to jinx it or whatever, but I hope that if things don't work out the way they should in the primary. Do you believe you can stay as engaged to go at it again? Is this something that you see as your future? You you always apologize for your questions, and yet your questions are the best questions in the world. Well, that is I just a don't want to imply uh, – to talk to anybody running for office, they don't want you to say if you lose. Right. Because no, but that is a great question, and it's the relevant question. You know, first of all, I, I'm not in this as part of a, of a middle-aged, you know, activity program. <laughs> you know, this, this is, is your like, hobby? You know what? Because this is a lot of – this is another – this is like two more full-time jobs on top of being a father and on top of having a very complex full-time job. Yeah, because you could have taken up golf if you just needed <laughs> something to do. But regardless of what happens, the life experience, oh, that's the easy answer. But it's invaluable. What my children are learning, I believe, about public service and commitment. You know, my, my, my youngest really doesn't care about this that much but my 16 year old uh, you know was just hanging out with martin o'malley the other day oh, wow. and and so this is pretty moving stuff and he's seeing that his father is really committed to try to help people that there's a purpose in life beyond ourselves so if that lesson is given to my children then this is worth everything that it possibly could be i know that at the end of this i will have a knowledge of the process. I will go back to writing a newspaper column. I'll continue writing my blog. I will get involved in politics in various ways to fix the system. I will be a barking dog out there to say, hey, folks, this is broken. Here's some ideas. Here's some ways, some things to think about. Uh, I'm never going to be passive, regardless of what it is. Will I get back into politics? I don't know. You know, very, people say, well, Gary, you know, people always lose the first one, and then they're the, they're the big dog the next time out. Well, I don't know. I'm looking at a mayor's race. You know, I've, I, you know, I've raised about enough money in my campaign, which could be $2 million when it's all said, right? But I've only raised enough to basically win a mayor's race. And, <laughs> but I know that I could raise enough money to win a mayor's race. You know, I think that I'll be involved in government on some level. You know, I do love the process of, of engaging people and hearing their ideas and bringing people together, go, okay, what's the best solution here? And whether you're talking about where, where to lay the sewer pipe or you're talking about gun control or you're talking about carbon fees and rebates, the, the public's work is important, and I like it. Good. Good for you. I'm proud of you, man. Yeah, I'm proud of you. Yeah, because you look good in a hat. You know, if I wore a cap like this, mm-hmm. I don't, Larry's wearing a cap. This is a it's cap. Kind of that newsboy cap. Yeah, kind of, kind of newsies. I'm trying to be that guy. But you pulled this off. You think so? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I couldn't. You. The first thing out of your mouth would have been, Kroger, what's with the cap? <laughs> but with you, it all works. You, you've got an artistic flair to you. Well, let me tell you this, uh, mister. I'll just shoot something right back at you. I don't care what anybody says. You don't shave that beard off. <laughs> 
<laughs> because that I you you know what the, the here here's here's the new sign, Gary Kroger, the sexy candidate, <laughs> or more than just a beard, more than. <laughs> Well, that's that's got weird double meaning to it. I don't. Yeah. All right, and I, and I have a campaign manager going, Kroger. Why it was yeah, a great right. interview. What was with the beard <laughs> comment? Okay. Well, she's going to make us cut that out too. Um, best of luck, man. I will be watching this with a great interest. I do hope that things start to pick up for you in the new year. Uh, I feel certain that this podcast will set you back a great deal, so I'll put it out as soon as possible before the primary. <laughs> this, you know, look, I love these podcasts because this is an honest conversation, yeah. you know, with all the gradations of, of, of from humor to politics. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't say KrogerForCongress.com. Thank you. You know, what can you do, Lair, in answer to the question that you just asked yourself in your head? Yeah, what can I do to uh, spread the word? To be, be this far away, thousands spread of miles away. Spread the word. Really? Send people to KrogerForCongress.com. Right. Tell them uh, you've got this buddy. He writes, you know, Gary has issues, but KrogerForCongress.com. Um, you, you learn more. Let's get let's get keep people involved. I'd like people to say, yeah, that's... That's a, that's a new kind of candidate. I'd I like think to... getting people in the conversation is always the first step, and yes. then then things start to happen. So that's why I love doing this, too, because what you had to say, I respond to. I think a lot of people will. I, I, uh, I, hope, this, I hope this really catches fire. Thank you, sir. All right, man. Should we end on something funny? Well, we all, well last time we did a sword fight. Yeah. I mean, we could try but to But it happened very that. organically, though. There's something... Do you want to throw something at me? Weird here. <laughs> Is this your key? That there? no, that is the that is the company key ring, and I, it looks like some sort of ma- muskrat or squirrel. Mouse, it's like a Guido mouse <laughs> with a microphone. I know, um, now we're just I don't scrambling. know. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're we desperate now. Yeah, All I right. think, I, just end it, Larry. Just you're, okay, you're dismissed. <laughs> Get a monkey. Get a monkey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.